Welcome to Declaration, where we exist to help people encounter and follow Jesus. Here at Declaration, we believe that God has a word for you and for your family, to live a life of fullness and to be faithful to Christ and His church. If you want to know more about who we are at Declaration Church, then I highly encourage you to visit declaration.org. Fifth and sixth grade, where are you at? Go ahead and stand to your feet. If you are here in the house, we want to dismiss you as we clap and celebrate you and love you. And Has it been a good 21 days, everybody? Now, for those of you who are doing like a, 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 like a legit, like we're not eating anything or even a partial Daniel fast, everybody's going to be getting steaks today, all right? It's going to be good. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Look, there's a, I believe there's a special and significant honor that God places upon the person of prayer. And, and I'm not talking like the, you know, just the, the popcorn prayer thing before you go to sleep or before, I mean, the person who is passionate about a life of prayer. Think about these names. Maybe you'll recognize just a few. Um, A.W. Tozier, George Mueller, um, Andrew Murray. Anybody know Andrew Murray? James Hudson Taylor, um, Charles Spurgeon, who once said, if God did not mean to hear us, he would not bid us to pray. Or how about even some more um, contemporaries? Anybody know of Jim Cimbala of Brooklyn Tabernacle? In fact, um, we don't really know Brooklyn Tabernacle because of their church. We know about Brooklyn Tabernacle because of their prayer services. Tuesday nights, people line the blocks to get in because the presence of God is so powerful. Um, or even someone close by who I believe is a true person of prayer, a person that's passionate about God and prays um, a lot. My pastor, Jeff Wells, I'd put him in that list. I respect him that much. These are all people, like I said, who are passionate about God, but also their life has been profoundly marked as being a person of prayer. Now we can learn a lot from giants of the faith, obviously, but what I would like to do today in the time that I have, and this is going to be an interesting message because I've got more message than I've got minutes. Can I say that? I know, I know someone out there is thinking, well, what's new, dude? Yeah, no. <laughs> Just go with me, all right? I'm gonna, so I'm going to kind of slice and dice as we go. Some of it I'm going to fly through, but I want to look at Jesus because he is the, there's no greater example of us learning how to pray honestly, then by looking at how Jesus prayed. Um, we see it in a couple of places, and we're going to highlight just a few of these, um, but I, I, we see this in, in Matthew 26. It's one of my favorite prayers that we see Jesus pray. John 17, another profound prayer where we see Jesus praying. Matthew 6, we're going to spend some time there. Luke 11. So if you will, just kind of go to the Gospels in your Bible if you've got your, your physical copy with you. If you do not have a physical copy of the Bible, please know that we've got some family in the church that is so passionate about putting the Word of God in your hands that part of their generosity has gone straight to providing Bibles at, the, at these response tables on the front and the back. So there are free Bibles there for you. If you do not have one, we would love for you to take that home with you. But go to the Gospels. Um, Maybe Mark Matthew chapter 6, if you can, and, and, and I'll try to keep you up here. Luke 11, we're going to go there for a few minutes. John 17, so Matthew 6, Luke 11, John 17, and then um, we'll spend a little time in John, and then if we have time, we're going to end on Matthew 26. All of these passages, I think we learned from Jesus how to pray. 
And that's how I hope that we can wrap this series up. You know, over the past few weeks, we've, we've looked at things like the priority of prayer, the priority of his presence, um, as well as building a life on prayer. Pastor Aaron did such a great job last week, did he not? Can we honor him for that? Thank you, Aaron. Building that life on prayer so that we have clarity and so that we don't stumble into confusion because just like Aaron pointed out, the devil doesn't really have to make you bad. He just needs to confuse you a little. And then today, really, how do we pray? How do we pray? Just as we've been reading from Pastor Chris, hopefully this has been good for us. Um, I hopefully, hopefully you've, you've learned some things from the tabernacle, yeah, from the tabernacle prayer, the prayer of Moses, the prayer of Jabez. Um, if, if you remember that um, from a couple years ago, they just kind of blew up, but he highlights that in there. Good stuff. But I really want to hone in on some of the things that Jesus shows us in praying. And here's why. I think um, j- even as Pastor Chris talks about, prayer can sometimes feel a little daunting. Maybe you feel like, well, I'm, I'm insecure. I don't know how. I don't know what to say. I fumble over my words. Sometimes I feel like I get wrapped up in form and forget function, if you will. Um, it can just be intimidating. So, you know, I mean, some, maybe, you, maybe you're like me. Early in, in my Christian walk, I'd be like, you know, this is the creator of the cosmos here. So, you know, don't want to mess this up, right? <laughs> he could zap me. <laughs> There's got to be a protocol, right? So let's look at how Jesus taught on prayer. And we're just going to call this the pattern of prayer. And then hopefully we'll see some of why and, and what, if you will. But look at Luke 11. We're going to be in four verses here, verses one through four. And it begins, it says, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, notice that right there, just like Moses, Jesus made a habit of going to certain places, special places to pray, which signified prayer being a priority because God was his highest priority. Prayer was priority. Therefore, again, like Moses, Jesus would go to these special places to pray because it was significant. Um, Moses, Jesus, both meeting with God, Moses, remember, he would go outside the camp. He would set up the tent of meeting. Um, Scripture tells us that Jesus would go to a certain place. So he was making prayer a priority. And it says, when he had finished praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Now, supposition here, they had obviously observed Jesus pray. Um, They had quite possibly prayed with Jesus in some way at some point in time. After all, Jesus modeled getting away often to the the certain places, special places to pray. The disciples had seen that. They had seen Jesus take time to go meet with God. And here they are, his disciples saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. You know, Jesus had just finished praying, so Jesus obliges. He says to them, well, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive also everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation. Now let's just take a a, a note of a few things here. First, First, Jesus began with this acknowledgement. Father, He's acknowledging identity. He's acknowledging a position, if you will. Um, Father to child, Father Um, And notice as he's making this acknowledgement, he begins with adoration. He says, hallowed be your name. Your name should be treated as sacred, if you will. Let's, Let's look at a definition of hallowed, if we can, really briefly. Hallowed, sanctified, consecrated, highly venerated, belonging to, associated with a divine power, set apart. That's my favorite definition, which, by the way, is straight from Webster. Set apart. 
So Jesus begins by saying, you are my father, signifying his position, his identity. Your name is sanctified. Your name is consecrated. Your name is highly and deeply revered. That's venerated. Set apart is your name. Set apart are you, or may your name be kept holy. May your name be kept set apart. May your name, Father, be revered. So he begins with this acknowledgement and this adoration. So first things first, take note. We can learn a lot from Jesus about prayer as he's teaching the disciples. He had already modeled this priority of prayer by going to the certain place to be alone. Therefore, listen, prayer must be prioritized if God is a priority. It's got to be prioritized. So when we pray, here's what we're doing. We are announcing God is our primary priority. When we stop to take time to really pray, we are announcing to God, you are my priority. Um, I love Warren Wiersbe's wisdom on this. Here's what he once said. He said, we usually think of John the Baptist as a prophet and a martyr. Something just crazy, man. Yet our Lord's disciples remembered him as a man of prayer. John was a miracle baby filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born, and yet he had to pray. He was privileged to introduce the Messiah to Israel, and yet he had to pray. Jesus said that John was the greatest of the prophets in Luke 7, and yet John had to depend on prayer. Now, if prayer was that vital to a man who had these many advantages, how much more important it ought to be to us who do not have those advantages, right? John's disciples had to pray. And Jesus' disciples wanted to learn better how to pray. Hopefully, we want to learn better and more how to pray. They did not ask the master to teach them how to preach. They did not ask the master to teach them how to do great things. They asked him to teach them how to pray. When some, you know, today, sometimes we think that we'd be better Christians if only we had been with Jesus when he was on earth, but that's really not likely. Disciples, they were with him every day, yet they failed over and over and over. They could perform miracles, and yet they wanted to learn how to pray. Think about it. But the greatest argument for the priority of prayer is the fact that our Lord himself was a man of prayer. We see this in Luke 3. He prayed at his baptism. Luke 6, before he chose the 12 disciples. Um, Luke 5, when the crowds would increase. Before um, he asked the 12 for their confession of faith. In Luke 9, at his transfiguration again in Luke 9. The disciples knew that he often prayed alone. Mark chapter 1. And they wanted to learn from him this secret of spiritual power and wisdom. If Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, had to depend on prayer during the days of his flesh, Hebrews 5, 7, then how much more do you and I need prayer? See, prayer must be prioritized if God's our priority. When we pray, we announce God as our primary priority. And number two, we acknowledge God for who he is. He's our father. Verse two, look at it again. Jesus said, say this, when you pray, say, Father, acknowledge his position, acknowledge his identity, acknowledge your relationship to him. Now, why would we do this? One, because he is our father. He is our father. We're his kids. And you know what? The father loves his children. Um, if you're a parent in the room, you know what I'm talking about. There's just something about or maybe I should say there's nothing like some of those very first moments, especially when your child actually gets the word out, daddy. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? 
But also, I believe that we see part of the answers in verses 11 through 13 of why we do this. Why do we acknowledge? Look at 11. It says, now, which one of you fathers will his son ask for a fish and instead of a fish, you give him a snake? He'll even ask for an egg and his father, who would give him a scorpion? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, Jesus uses this analogy of earthly fathers and their ability, their desire, if you will, to give their kids what they need. Then questions, if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your own kids, how much more will your heavenly father be able to do? Acknowledge who he is, Father. Acknowledge God for who he is. He loves you. It's not about what you pray for. It's about who it is you are praying to. Acknowledge God for who he is. Number three, adore God for who he is. His goodness, his greatness. It says this in verse two. It says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. See, as we pray first, worship him first in prayer. Acknowledge, adore, worship him. This reveals our hearts to him in the sense of, are we coming to him for who he is to us or are we coming to him for what he can do for us? When we choose to adore God first in prayer, it reveals that he really is our priority as we pray or if what we need and want is the priority of our praying. It's gonna be revealing. When we pray, let's start by adoring God for who he is, taking time just to be in his presence with gratitude for his goodness, ascribing to him his greatness. And Jesus goes on after he says, hallowed be your name. He says, may your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. See, here I believe we begin to see the true purpose of prayer. It goes along often with what I have said many, many times, we're not the point. We're an important part of the story. We're not the point of the story. See, prayer aligns our heart with God's heart. It aligns our heart with God's motives, God's purposes, God's agenda. It aligns us. It invites us into agreement with God and God's desires. So when we say, may your kingdom come, we're saying our deepest desire, God, is to honor you, to honor your kingdom, and to do your will. In other words, number four, we agree with the expansion of his kingdom. We agree with the expansion of his kingdom. When we pray, may your will be done, we are saying our purpose for praying is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. That's what we're saying. So when we pray, God... God's kingdom to come. We're praying for God's desires first and foremost. We're asking God to use us to accomplish his heart's desires so that his name is glorified, so that his kingdom is extended and expanded, so that his will would be done. So when we pray, four things we looked at so far. Number one, we announce God as our priority. We acknowledge him for who he is. We adore him for his goodness and his greatness. And we agree with the expansion of his kingdom and the glory of his name. And that's just the first two verses. <laughs> see, it's so important for us to see that the pattern of how we pray first is to put God first and foremost. Anybody have a teenager? You know where I'm going? <laughs> it's different when they come in and they say, hey, dad, mom, how are you? I love you. right? Versus, sup, where's the keys? You got any money? <laughs> it's just different. 
You ain't getting the keys or the money, but whatever. <laughs> Love you too. See, it's, it's just important that, that we see this pattern so we put God first. See, once we've addressed our priority and our motives, once we've acknowledged him in our relationship, once we have adored him and aligned our heart with his will, then we come to him for any personal things. Notice how Jesus instructs us to pray next in verse three. He says, give us our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. You give to us your agenda, God. You give to us what you know we need versus what we think we need. You give to us what you desire, not just what we want. It's your agenda. It's not ours. It's, it's, it's your provision. Notice the posture of this prayer. It's still about God. Notice that as Jesus is teaching about prayer, it's still completely God-centric, right? It's not about give us each day what we want and more of it. It's give us each day what you know, Lord, that we need. See, what if this prayer is saying, give us each day exactly what will glorify you most in our lives? What if? This is part of the pattern of prayer. Again, still completely focused on God. And finally, look at verse four. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Number five, here's what we do when we pray, especially the way the Lord taught us to pray. We now absolve others as we've been absolved. We recognize the debt that we owe because our absolute propensity to sin, because of our absolute darkness that he paid, yet still was so willing to forgive. And we, in kind, reciprocate that to others who inflict pain upon us, potentially. It's confession. Really, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, we see that God is faithful and he is righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, right? So when we forgive completely, um, we recognize the depth of which we have been forgiven, meaning we hold no record of wrong against other people. Can I tell you something? This is the hard part right here. If we're being real, if we're being true and honest, this is the hard part right here, forgiving people in this way. This is the real, this is some hard work right here because we're gonna hold no record of wrong against them. We release them of the debt that they owe to us for what they've done. We choose to, watch this, we choose to forget. Now you've probably heard the statement, you can forgive, but you don't have to what? That is the most unbiblical thing I think I've thought about this last week. Because when, when that hit me, obviously God's doing work on me too. Hey, hey, hey big boy, there's some people you probably need to release. But that statement, well, no, no, you can forgive, but you, well, that does not align. Here's why I say it's unbiblical. Look at Psalm 103, verse 12. What is, what is, when God forgives us, what does he do? As far as the east is from the west, so far he is what? Removed our transgressions from us. He chooses not to hold it against us. He chooses to forget. He sees the blood covering of Jesus and says, it's done. You're justified. I'm satisfied. He sees the righteousness of God upon your life. He forgets what you've done. So why do we choose to say, oh, we forgive, but we will not forget? It's not biblical. It's hard, but it's not biblical. We may get stuck right there because, you know, many of us, if we're obeying the pattern of prayer that Jesus is teaching, we may have forgiven, but have we released the debt? Have we released the debt if we haven't forgotten? 
if we haven't chosen to forget, isn't it good that Jesus doesn't hold our pastor and dressings against us? I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. I'll tell you that right now. All right, thank you. Verse four, when we pray, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We are, listen, can I say, when we, when we say that we forgive, do you realize that we're making a vow We're making a vow. The Lord is hearing these things that we're saying. Yes, I forgive you. I'm making a vow. Ecclesiastes chapter five. Go here with me really briefly. Verses one through four. Look what it says. It says, guard your steps as you go into the house of God. Let me just reframe. When you step into the presence of God, you better check yourself. Watch out. You can't clean yourself up. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying walk reverently. Walk circumspectfully. Approach to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice to fools. They don't know what they're doing. They're doing evil. It says, don't be quick with your mouth or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you're on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, it says, do not be late in paying it for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. Be careful what we're saying because God takes these things deeply seriously as we're praying. So that's Luke. That's his iteration. Go to Matthew 6, if you will. I'm gonna briefly land here for a second. And I want you to notice how Jesus teaches about posture, motive, if you will. Before he gets to even to prayer, he's gonna discuss a few things. How are we to live and walk in humility? How are we to give generously and humbly? These things contextually are important because Jesus ties these things into his teaching when he gets to prayer. Look at verse one. It says, um, Matthew 6, verse one. Take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people, to be noticed by them. See, true righteousness is not a show. It's not a performance. Otherwise, Jesus says, you have no reward with your father who's in heaven. If you're looking for your trophy right here, you're gonna get what you get, right? So when you give, now he's gonna go to giving. When you make a charitable gift to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you. Don't go around telling people about it. Don't brag about what you gave. That's what the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. They're talking about it, trying to get noticed so that they will be praised by people. Truly, I say, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Thanks, Aaron. So that your charitable giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This isn't, listen, can I say this? This is not speaking about the physical act of generosity as much as it's speaking about the posture and the motivations of generosity. Because actually, contextually, generosity was actually celebrated in community. Let me show you why. Acts 2, you remember what happened? They all shared and they had each, what they had was in common. It, it, it spoke to this communal, if you will, offering. They brought what they had together so that everyone was taken care of. Um, the Macedonians, if you will, the, the, the generosity of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8. So honestly, generosity was celebrated in the community. Again, this is really speaking, Jesus is teaching about the motivation of your heart. That's why he starts the way he does. Live humbly, give humbly. And then he goes to prayer. He says, and when you pray, verse five, you're not to be like the hypocrites. He keeps going back to that. So he's juxtap- this juxtaposition if you will, of here's how you're supposed to be. Here's an example not to do. He says, don't do that. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they'll be seen by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room 
Go to the special place. Go to your tent of meeting. Close the door. Pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles do for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Remember, let your words be few. Don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Pray then in this way. And here we see again, Jesus giving the pattern of prayers we saw in Luke. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, sacred, holy is your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray in faith, sometimes we pray, God, there is no cancer in heaven. May there be no cancer right now on this person on earth in Jesus' name. When we pray this, we pray in faith, the realities of earth to be impacted by the kingdom of heaven's reality. So give us this day our daily bread. Psalm 23, I have all that I need. Give us this day, only concern yourself with what today holds. Don't worry, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow's gonna deal with itself. Give us this day and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven. Notice past tense. Notice something else too. Right here in this passage, as we are in uh, Matthew, do you notice that Jesus changes tense? And it's not personal anymore. Now it's corporate. Do you see it? Us. Do you see the language? Give us this day. Forgive us as we have also forgiven. Meaning we've done this in the past. We've already forgiven them. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you know what we're praying when we pray that statement? Do not lead us into temptation, but rather deliver us from evil. We're praying to be delivered from situations that could and would cause us to sin. God, help us to live righteous lives. God, help us to live in purity. Help us to live pure lives with clean hands and a pure heart. God, help us to live set apart lives. Holy lives as you are holy. Help us to be like you as you guide us and as you lead us. Even if you lead us into a desert, even if you're taking us into a wilderness, just please do not lead us to some, in, in, in any situation that may allow the enemy to tempt us. Like Job, God, please don't allow the enemy to sift us. Like Jesus, Father, please don't allow the enemy to take us to some high place to survey anything that may cause our eyes to seek anything other than you. Keep us and deliver us from any situation that would cause our righteousness, our right standing to be challenged in any way. That's what, he's, that's what we're praying. In 14, he comes back to forgiveness. This is how important it is. For if you forgive other people for their offenses, their wrongdoings, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, this is a really tense verse right here, then your father will not forgive your offenses. So this is the pattern that Jesus gives us. This is the how to pray, the how to pray. Now, this is the moment where I'm gonna self-edit a bit and go really quickly because Pastor Aaron kind of highlighted this last week in John 17. We see what we call the high priestly prayer. There's a few things to note, if you will. Um, go ahead and put up verse one, if you will, of John 17. Right here, we see Jesus first and foremost, look at the backside of the verse, that the son may glorify you. He starts the prayer again, acknowledging God and adoring God. God, it is about your glory, what I'm doing here. God, everything, I know the cross is imminent. It's coming. I'm about to go to the cross, but still the first thing that I'm gonna pray is about you and your glory, 
Notice that. Don't lose that. Look at verse 2 real quick. Verse 2, hit that for us. Jesus recognizes and acknowledges that everything he's been given comes from God. Look what it says. That to all whom you have given. God, you've given it all to me. Go to verse 4, if you will, if you can catch up with me. Keep up with me there. He declares his obedience to God. Look what he says in 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. The work that he was given to do was a work of dying. And I've glorified you by being obedient to you. So he highlights obedience. Again, just as Jesus prayed, primary priority, the glory of God. God first, God foremost. This is our greatest why as it pertains to prayer, church. Can you hear me? This is our greatest why. The glory of God first and always. That's the, that's the why behind the what. It's our greatest why. Notice, Jesus not only concerned himself with God's glory, but he quickly then shifts to us. Verse two again, go back to verse two if you can find that. He talks about giving us the eternal life. He talks about he, giving us redemption. Um, he talks about our ability to know God personally and intimately, basically. And then if you go to verse three, you see him so beautifully and succinctly just present the gospel. That's what verse three is. This is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. So his focus was God first and then he focuses on us. It's a pattern worth noting. And then all, all, you also know that he, he, he hones in on unity. He hones in on love for one another. That's what Pastor Aaron brought out last week. Here's where I wanna go next. Go to Matthew 26, if you will. Here's where I wanna end today. One more place where we see Jesus praying. Because here's the real deal. When the rubber meets the road, when things get too tough, when things get too hard, when faith even feels completely fragile, when the prayer even seems completely futile because the answer is staring you in the face that you feel like is going to be the answer and you don't know what to do. I had a great conversation with a guest last week and that guest was, I probably met this person months ago. She reminded me where we met. And as we're talking, kind of lighthearted, jovial, all of a sudden the gear shifts and she tears up, starts talking about how do you, do you even pray when one of your family members is diagnosed with stage four cancer? Got real, real fast. It got real fast. So we got to stand and talk about that for a few minutes last week. Because see, there's times when you're praying that the pattern of prayer is, it, it, it just, it's gonna feel completely feckless to you. The world's crashing around you. Life feels like it's falling apart. What are you gonna do? Oh yeah, Jesus, I know we're supposed to forget. Oh yeah, Jesus, I know love and unity. Yeah, 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 kumbaya. No, stuff's blowing up. What do I do? This is when we realize that prayer is not transactional, it's actually transformational. These are the moments in the guts, in the belly of the whale, in the depth of the woods in the wilderness, in the dry season of the desert, this is the moment when prayer moves from transactional to transformational. It begins to change us. Our motive ceases to be, how can I change your heart, God, and move your hand, God? No, 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 it changes us. Matthew 26, I gotta find it in my notes. <laughs> Look what it says in verse 36. Jesus 
came with them. Everybody say them. This is so important. Not just because it's group Sunday and it's a launch. That's kind of low-hanging fruit, I promise. But, but please don't miss this. Because let me just be real. It's all fun and games till the floor falls out from underneath you and you look around wondering where is that Christian community that you have shunned because you couldn't let go of your offense. Jesus is hanging out with his people. He's with his dudes. They go to a place that Jesus was very well um, acquainted with, Gethsemane, where the olive trees are, where the olive press is. It's very significant because guess what? Jesus is about to be the olive that's about to be pressed to get new oil. And he goes into Gethsemane to pray with them and he tells them, hey, sit here while I go over there. I, I need to be with my father for a minute, but, but stay close, right? He had his guys. He needed his people. There, there will be times when we need our people. Can I tell you? This is why we say things like small groups. We don't want it from you. I don't want to add another hour on your already overbloviated, crazy calendar, burning you out and exhausting you. I know what your life is like. Mine is too. But this is why we say we want it for us, all of us, because there's times that we need our people. Jesus takes Peter in 37, his two sons of Zebedee with him, begins to grieve, begins to be completely distressed. He says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here, please stay with me while I pray right over there. Stay here. Sit with me, if you will. Again, when your faith feels fragile, when the prayer feels futile, you're going to need your friends you're going to need people around you to hold you up in prayer. Look how Jesus prays in response to this moment. And he, when he went a little beyond, he fell on his face and begins to pray, saying, my father, watch what he does. Watch, what does he say again? He acknowledges, what does he say? My father, if it's possible. See, we're skipping the pattern right now. But still notice his heart. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's a plan B, can we please do that? But then he says this, yet not as I will, but as you will. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Here's Jesus, still focused on God's plan, still focused on God's purpose, still focused on God's desire, still focused on God's glory, even if he's not gonna get the answer from God that he wants. And he comes to the disciples and what does he find? He finds them asleep. And he says to Peter, you, could you not keep watch with me for even an hour? Keep watching, keep praying so you don't come into temptation. Listen, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time. My father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, please, unless I drink from it, your will be done. He's still focused, God, what are you doing? Do what you desire to do, God, first and foremost. Again, Jesus comes back and finds his friends asleep. Their eyes were heavy. Can I just be honest for just a second? We need each other so bad, more than we've needed each other in the history of the culture of this civilization, if you will. We need each other so bad. And how many of us have settled into sleep because you're so tired, you're so burnt out, you're so overwhelmed. We have allowed the culture of this life to co-opt intimacy with God and community with each other. And we're asleep and our people need us. 
And we need each other. And we're asleep. We're too busy. Other things are too important. Pray first. This is the why that we're doing. We, gotta, we need to be reminded. We gotta be reminded sometimes. It's okay. Sometimes we get distracted. That's a tool of the devil. Just a little bit confusion. That's a tool of the devil. Sometimes we get a little confused. We need to be reminded of the love and the grace of this father who lavishly pours out his love upon our lives day in and day out. Day and night, night and day, the incense arise. But can I tell you something? Day and night, night and day, God is lavishing us with mercy, grace, and love. And we need to be reminded because too many of us have settled for sleep while the enemy is literally ravaging our kids and our marriages and the church, capital C. And we're too busy still yelling about our rights and our entitlements trying to recreate God in our image when we were supposed to be supposedly created in his. He leaves again. He goes to pray a third time saying the same thing. Father, if there's any other way and he comes to disciples, are you asleep? Are you resting? Come on, the hours come. My betrayer's at hand. See, too many believers today, listen, we, we need each other in the game. We need each other. You know what I want to do just for a few minutes before we go? Maybe we just need to stop and say, we're going to pray first right now. We're going to go through this pattern and God, I'm not going to ask you for your heart to be changed and your hand to be moved. I'm just going to model what I see Jesus do. And you do what you desire to do in us. Maybe for some of us, that looks like um, surrendering your life to Jesus for the very first time. Not church, not religion. Come on, y'all. I'll say it once, I've said it again, controversial as it may sound, but religion brought down buildings on 9-11 in 2001 in the name of religion. That's what religion does. Religion tries to convince you to do better, try harder, work more for it. Jesus says, it is finished. I did it. I did it. Religion says, clean yourself up, look respectful, play the game, perform well. Relationship with Jesus says, come as you are. Come as you are. So maybe step one is for some of us, pray first looks like I just need to make Jesus first. I'm going to surrender my life to him. Maybe for some, pray first looks like, I just need to adore you for a minute, God, because honestly, I don't even know what to ask for. And I'm tired of asking for things because I realize I've made it all about me. Maybe pray first looks like, um, the floor has fallen out from under me, God. My marriage is fractured seemingly beyond repair. My kids, if you were to just put a name in the prodigal story, my kids' names would show up. 
and I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to pray. May your kingdom come for my marriage. May your kingdom come for my kids. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm going to trust you, God, that you love my marriage and you love my kids even more than I do. Maybe pray first looks like there's a diagnosis and I don't like it. And if this is the cup that God wants me to drink, okay. But I'm going to, in faith, believe that God has a higher purpose than this diagnosis. And I just need a little bit of encouragement right now. I'm going to invite our our prayer partners to make themselves available. Just line the front up here today. Um, staff, if you will, um, any elder families, if you'd want to make yourself available, just come up and we're just going to, we're going to, can we stand to our feet? What does pray first begin to look like? I know we've done 21 days and you're like, hey, whoa, whoa, we've been doing this. No, no, no. Here's what I believe today. I honestly believe today we're really starting. We've been sitting with the Lord. We've been hearing from the Lord. We've been acknowledging the Lord. We've been adoring the Lord. We've understood our our forgiveness in the Lord. But what does he want to do starting right here and right now? Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. If you need some encouragement as we sing, would you come? You've got a faithful, loving, generous, gracious Father who has never left you and never forsaken you and He never will. And He is inviting you today to pray first that He would be your priority. So as we sing, and if you feel led, would you step out in faith? Would you move? The altar is open. If you don't want to meet with somebody, just come get by yourself with the Lord. But let's just take a few minutes to respond in that way. Thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe today you need to take the next step in your faith, whether that be giving your life to Christ or maybe you would like prayer and need to be contacted by one of our pastors. In the podcast description, you will find a link to our website and a link to an online connection card. And if you feel led, there will also be a link there where you can give directly to the ministries of Declaration Online. We would love to hear from you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.